Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. You're joined again by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Thanks so much for tuning in again. And this is now our sixth episode. These are absolutely flying by and Jack and I are having a lot of fun making them. And again, thank you so much for all the support. If this is your first time tuning in, hello. And if you are a returning listener, thanks so much for coming back. So Jack and I have a really good episode for you in store today. We're going to be answering a whole bunch of listener questions that we've been asked on our Instagrams, covering a range of different topics. However, before we dive into those, we're just going to give you a bit of a roundup on what we've been up to for the last week. So Jack, take the floor. Hey guys, so this week has been pretty standard for me. My third week back into training since coming back after taking that period off for injury. And yeah, good, very good week of training. Uh, everything is still progressing nicely and yeah, gaining strength um, with each session that passes. Yesterday for me was a leg day, which was quite a defining leg day for me because I was able to reintroduce some exercises that I wouldn't have thought I would or been capable of doing. So that was really good. So, so what were they? So I started off with blood flow restriction, leg extension and curl, which I usually do. And I do that just to pre-fatigue everything. Um, so I don't have to go as heavy on the next lifts. And the second exercise was barbell hip thrusts. And usually I would do single leg hip thrusts. So, and that felt very good. So yeah, even before your time off, you were doing single leg hip thrusts for quite a few weeks or a few months. Yeah. Ever so, since my injury. So it would have been since around July. Man. Okay. That's exciting. Yeah. So yeah, it felt very good to put that back in. And after that, I also did single leg leg press, which I haven't done for about six weeks or so before my time off. So that felt really good as well. I've been having some adductor issues, which I think is linked to my back, but, and usually single leg stuff puts a bit more emphasis on your adductors, but fortunately they felt good throughout that as well. And after that, I did something called it's like a hamstring orientated back extension. So it's a typical back extension movement, except you're putting all the emphasis on your hamstrings. So you're really stretching down there. Yeah. So it's basically like a, like a very light RDL, except the way that it's set up is that it, it makes it a lot harder. So I only did like 15 kilos, but I could only do like 10 reps for three or four sets. So Man, well, that's a huge like that's a huge sign. It really shows that taking that time off was responsible and a great decision. And now you haven't fully dived back into training, and you're still looking after your injury, and it's working in your favor. You're, like you're feeling better, which is so exciting. Yeah, it's great. And yeah, I'll probably like keep those exercises in for a while and make sure that I'm pain free doing those. And then slowly and slowly, hopefully, fingers crossed, I can just introduce more and more I guess back orientated leg exercises so yeah um, that'll be great yeah so I guess you're all the way back up to me on hip thrust now you're probably mm. going to surpass <laughs> me <laughs> easily in the next few weeks <laughs> yeah well it's my main hip hinge movement now yes. so <laughs> other news I Tia and I had well I guess it was mainly me but we had our first posing session with Oliver our men's physique client so that was great mm, how'd and that go yeah, it went well. I think it's a, quite a bit different to obviously bodybuilding posing, um, like a much more emphasis on the upper body and l a lot less on the lower body. So 
That's what I want to find out actually about bodybuilding because in men's physique, the only portion of your legs that you're showing are your calves. So I actually want to talk to one of the judges and find out if they judge based on calf definition. I'd actually be really, what mm. do you think? Uh, I don't think so. I don't even <laughs> think they judge calves in bodybuilding, but yeah. I think, well, for a bodybuilder, they'd probably judge calves that mm. I'm, I'm sure, but men's physique who, who knows, maybe that might be the defining decision who has the best calf striations. <laughs> Yeah. Don't neglect your calves, guys. <laughs> and yeah, other news. I had another in like a introductory consult with a client who wants to start season B bodybuilding. So that's really exciting. He'll be doing probably teens and like novice first timers and stuff like that. But yeah, he's looking very promising. So yeah, it's so exciting. Even just since starting this podcast and getting our voices out there, we've actually had quite a few inquiries regarding coaching and not just for this upcoming season, but seasons in advance, which is just such a great sign. And, you know, it, it, it's um, very promising for Jack and I that our business in the future, we're, we're going to have success because people are listening and people are reaching out and they want to take advantage of our services. So if you guys, if anyone listening to this right now, you're one of those people, thank you so much. And yeah, we are just so excited for the future. Things are really looking up. It's, mm. it's so exciting. Yeah, it's awesome. So you went to a party with your family, didn't you as well? Yeah, I went to a family party. Uh, yeah, side of the family that I guess I don't associate with as much. And I found out that my history teacher from school, I was like, we're fourth cousins, I think. So that was a bit of an interesting surprise. And it wasn't just just a history teacher. It was your favorite teacher, wasn't yes, it? Yes, my favorite teacher. <laughs> <laughs> so it shows that there's a bit of a genetic component in there. So. <laughs> yeah, I guess history runs in the family. <laughs> yeah. So did anything else happen exciting in your week or... That's pretty good. No, yeah, I think it was a good week. Yeah. 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 The last week for me has been awesome too. I just, I feel like I'm at one of the best points in my life right now. I feel like there is just no stress because Jack and I are not at uni right now. You know, we don't have any impending deadlines coming up or assessment or we don't, we're not on placement and as well, because we are still working a lot. We're working on our business. We're working with our clients at UQ Sports. So we're still busy, but there's just no stress, man. Like we're just doing the things that we love. Squats. Oh, well, squats are a little bit intimidating, but hey, there's you get the rewards. I love the challenge of squats, but <laughs> hey, I'd rather do a thousand squats than be on clinical placement again. So, man. <laughs> But yeah, right now is just so damn good. I just feel like we're doing the things that we love and we're really getting a taste of what it's going to be like once we graduate and once we finally are finished with university and we just get to dive into our careers and work and be passionate. And it doesn't even feel like work because honestly, we just love what we do. So yeah, the last week has been great. Lots of work. I've been working at UQ Sports, seen um, heaps of clients. It's pretty cool. Now that Jack and I have our ISAC credential to take skin folds, I've had quite a few inquiries from members at UQ Sport who have been booking in like singular PT sessions with me just to have their skin folds taken, which is really exciting. Um, working with my uh, fitness slash sports model client, her name's Kate Mellers. If any of you follow my page on Instagram or the bodybuilding dietitians page on Instagram, I just recently posted a photo of her up there and she is looking phenomenal. She's still like 16 and a half weeks out from her first show of the season. 
And man, she just looks so good. And the great thing is about Kate is she's just such a role model for other girls in doing a prep in a very healthy and sustainable way. And she follows a plant-based diet, so she's been a vegan for years now. And she's still eating a substantial amount of calories. She's eating around 2,800 calories, almost 400 grams of carbs per day. And one of the best things was that when we had our first consult together and I asked her, you know, so what about protein on average? How much protein are you eating right now? And she's like, oh, you know, like 160 grams hitting proteins, no problem. And hearing that from a vegan was, I was just like, man, you are awesome. <laughs> and we worked out, you know, for each of her meals, she's hitting her leucine threshold uh, from the protein component there. And yeah, she's just coming in really well and she's responding really well to her new training program. She's still super strong. Her squats are 80 kilograms for reps. She's um, doing deadlifts that are almost at 100 kilograms. Anyway, I'm waffling on about this kind of fangirling over Kate um, as a client, just like a dream client, but I'm so excited for her. She's just going to do so well. So keep your eye out on that. And if you haven't already seen that photo, um, go over to the Bodybuilding Dietitian's Instagram. But yeah, the last week has just been pretty average for me, training, working. I just feel good. Man, last night Jack and I got 10 hours sleep. We woke up this morning and Jack's like, look at the time. And I'm like, it was like 9 a.m. And I'm like, man, that is awesome. <laughs> I feel like getting a good night's sleep. You just wake up feeling like a new person. Anyway, okay, so we will now dive into the questions. So Jack, what's the first one? So the first question is thoughts on intermittent fasting and how best to execute it. And the second question is, have you tried any effective fasting diets? And that was asked by Bass to Will. I hope I pronounced your name right. And Jacob Mayer. Fasting, I guess, is just another type of dieting and manipulating your energy intake. So there's a lot of different reasons why someone would want to do fasting or, yeah, would want to try it out. And from our perspective, what we see most or what we prescribe fasting for is just another effective way for weight loss. And the main reason why it could contribute to weight loss, guys, is because essentially you're just shortening your eating window. So the most common type of intermittent fasting protocol would be a 16-hour fast followed by an 8-hour eating window. And if you shorten the amount of time that someone is eating within, then you would expect them to eat less calories because it's a lot harder to consume a lot of calories and plenty of meals in a shorter time space compared to if you stretch that out and you're doing it in reverse. For example, if you're only you know, fasting for eight hours and you were eating within a 16 hour window. Mm. So yeah, the most, uh, probably the most common fasting protocol is the 16 and eight where you are fasting for 16 hours, eating for eight hours. And so an example of that might be eat, finishing dinner at around 6 p.m. at night and then not eating till 10 a.m. the next morning. So that would be 16 hours. And like, of course, it does include it when you sleep, which makes it that much easier. However, just fasting alone is not going to lead to weight loss if you don't account for your total daily calorie mm. intake. For example, they've done studies where they take two groups, one follows an intermittent fasting protocol, you know, eating in that 16, eight hour window, and the other group just eats freely throughout the day, but their calories and their protein is equated. And then over a period of a given amount of weeks, 
they lose the exact same amount of weight. So it really still comes down to the principles of energy intake and especially protein intake. Because, mm. yeah, the I guess a common saying among like nutritionists and dietitians is like the best diet is the one you can adhere to the most. So if you're doing fasting and you are you have an eight-hour window to eat, but then you're just still eating over your calorie or energy requirements, then you're just still going to gain weight. So mm. it needs to be something you can adhere to. And it also, it doesn't have to be 16 and eight hours. Like find a given amount of time that works for you. So I know that Jack and I, it's not necessarily intentional, but I guess we could say that we have some sort of, quite a large actually fasting window during Mm. our day because we finish our last meal around 7 p.m., 7.30. That's when we have dinner. And we don't usually have breakfast the next morning until around 9 a.m., So that is up to a 14-hour window where we're not eating. And that's not necessarily intentional. That's kind of just our eating patterns. That's when we get hungry. We don't like to eat a huge meal right before we go to bed. We don't find that we sleep very well. But essentially, that that works well for us. But Mm. the main thing is, is find what works well for you and make sure that it meets your total calorie requirements whether you're trying to gain weight or lose weight or stay at maintenance and you're also consuming enough protein there Mm, yeah so one thing that fasting does negate and this probably wouldn't isn't important for everyone but if like exercise performance and hypertrophy and recovery is your main goals then it is important to get protein feedings in throughout the day and usually people say around three to five of around um, 20 to 30 grams of protein so if you're fasting for 16 hours, then obviously you're not going to be getting those protein feedings. Yeah, so in that case, it might not be the most optimal way to eat if you are trying to recover as well, if you're an elite athlete or if you're just resistance training is a huge goal for you. I guess another, I'm just going to go back quickly to different types of fasting because I think this might be helpful. But another one is like there's a 5-2 and like the 6 one where you basically eat normally for five days, um, how you normally would, so not. If your goal is to lose weight, you would eat at a maintenance, and then for either two or one days of that week, you would eat 500 calories or less. Or Yeah, so a very large energy deficit for those yeah. two days. So fasting is certainly very interesting, and it is an emerging area of research, especially in clinical dietetics, because there are a lot of metabolic benefits that have been associated with fasting. So yeah, this is just sort of scraping the surface from what we've learned and what has been researched. But basically, a few of the metabolic benefits of fasting includes increase of insulin sensitivity, and it will also reduce IGF-1 levels, which is insulin-like growth factor 1, which is, I guess, similar to growth hormone. Yeah, so a high level of IGF-1 is associated with cancer cell growth because it's an anabolic hormone. Mm. And which I guess is very preferable when you're younger because obviously obviously you need growth to build your body, especially in puberty. But as you get older and older, you have higher levels of IGF-1 that's just going to result in other forms of growth such as tumors. So that's yeah one of the methods behind fasting there. And another one is it promotes, upregulates autophagy, which is, I guess in quotation marks, like the sort of spring cleaning of the cell. So it's kind of like when the cell breaks down its components and then it regenerates new, healthier components of that cell. It's actually, it's a very, very important process that happens in every cell of our body. 
but again, it can only occur when insulin levels are low and IGF-1 levels are low, hence when we are in a fasted state. And yeah, it'll also uh, decrease something called cell senescence, which is something that we don't want. It's when cells divide and this is an unwanted process and linking back to tumor cells is that the more cells divide, the more they're going to be linked to tumor cells or cancer cells. Mm, So more cell growth. Yeah. Yeah. And another interesting thing that we learned is something called the Warburg effect. So we were taught that cancer cells actually use 18 times more glucose as a fuel source compared to other cells in the body. So again, to promote fasting, if we are fasting for a period of time, our blood glucose levels will be low and this will lead to less available fuel for these cancer cells so that they can't feed on this glucose and hence they can't grow. So those are just a few things on fasting, guys. Again, if you want very comprehensive answers, I would recommend going to the podcast called Found My Fitness. This is by Dr. Rhonda Patrick. It's a fantastic podcast, highly recommend it, and she goes into great depth on all the research behind fasting. But again... Wait, what's the researcher name again? (laughs) Dr. Rhonda Patrick. Sorry, I was pronouncing it in Australian before. Instead of doctor, I was saying doctor. (laughs) Anyway, um, but yeah, guys, essentially just each to their own. Find out a way of eating that works for you. You don't want to be eating around the clock. Essentially, you don't want to be eating. Well, you have to sleep, but you want to have a given amount of time there during your day where you aren't eating so you can get some of these benefits like Jack and I do. You know, we incidentally just happen to fast for up to 14 hours someday, but that's again, just what works for our schedule. That's definitely not necessary. But I guess to find a happy medium, maybe even having a 12-hour window or a 10-hour window where you're not eating. So if you finish your last meal at 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. at night, that's when you have dinner. And then just don't have breakfast the next day until 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. I think that's pretty reasonable. That would Mm. work for most people's time schedules. And you'll get the best of both worlds. You'll still get to get in regular protein feedings there throughout the day to promote recovery and, you know, support uh, muscle mass gains. But you're also going to get those benefits of autophagy and all those wonderful things that we just spoke about. So, yeah. All right. So next question. What is it? So the next question is, polyphasic sleep and bodybuilding. Okay, and that was asked by Ethan Fan. What a coincidence. (laughs) Ethan is someone that we work with at UQ Sport. Great guy, but he often tells us stories about how he's a little bit sleep deprived. So polyphasic sleep and bodybuilding, I'm assuming that, would you interpret that as instead of getting a significant amount of sleep at night, you're taking maybe naps throughout the day or yeah, broken sleep? Power naps. Power naps. So essentially guys, Uh, I would not promote this, especially for bodybuilding or just health in general. It's, it's very, very important that you are getting a sufficient amount of good quality sleep every night. So right now the recommendations are between seven to nine hours of good quality sleep each night and preferably going to sleep at the same time. So having a good sleep and wake cycle and following that on most days of the week. Obviously, there are circumstances where that might be broken. The main thing is that you are getting that certain amount of sleep because sleep is just absolutely integral for health, for life, and 
especially as an athlete, it's so important for recovery processes and especially in bodybuilding. So whether you are in a gaining phase, trying to build muscle, or especially if you are in a cut and you're trying to retain muscle and you're trying to lose as much fat as possible. Pretty interesting, there's been a recent study that's come out which shown that there were two groups of dieting individuals and one got 5.5 hours sleep and the other one got 8.5 hours sleep. And they dieted for a number of weeks and what they found is that the group that only got 5.5 hours sleep actually lost 60% less fat mass than the other group and around 55% more muscle mass. So compromising their sleep did not work in their favor at all. They lost less fat and they lost more muscle and calories and protein were equated in this study. And another interesting thing is that they actually found the group who only got 5.5 hours sleep had higher levels of ghrelin in their bloodstream and ghrelin is a hunger hormone. It is released by our stomach and our fat cells and it makes us feel hungrier. And to me, this makes a lot of sense and you guys could probably relate to this anecdotally. When you get a poor night's sleep, the next day you are a little bit hungrier. And this is essentially a way of your body being energy deprived because you didn't get enough sleep and you're trying to look for an energy source. And because you're awake, that needs to come from food. So you're probably more inclined to eat more food, which if you're trying to diet could bring you back up to maintenance so you wouldn't lose any weight, your weight might just stall, or you might even overconsume calories so you might start to gain weight. So, whew. so Jack, what, what would you say about that? Yeah, so I guess the longer periods of sleep is also when your, a lot of your hormones such as growth hormone are released and regulated as well. So yet another reason to get, and I think it's what, did you say the hours were between? Yes, well, so the hours recommended for sleep are between seven to nine hours per night. Mm. And did you say between 12 and two is when a lot of those vital hormones are released? Oh yeah, so this would be in regards to our circadian rhythm. So this is kind of just a fancy way of saying our biological clock. So a lot of our hormones, guys, are secreted in a clockwise manner. And especially during those hours of the night, I think it's, it's any, don't quote me on these numbers, but I believe it's between 12 a.m. and 4 a.m. There are a number of hormones that are released, such as growth hormone, which are very important for growing muscle, retaining muscle, and for recovery purposes as well. Yeah, I think that about covers it. I would like to talk about sleep hygiene, which is like little tricks to, because some people struggle a lot with getting to bed. And I think but I, we won't talk about that today just because we got a few more questions. So I just want to throw in there though, because you did say polyphasic sleep. So taking naps. So there could be circumstances where you would recommend taking naps. So for example, if you have an elite athlete and they are getting sufficient sleep at night, but they're having two very large training sessions during the day, you might recommend that they take a nap between those training sessions just to enhance recovery. So I, I follow a lot of runners and tennis athletes and all these elite level athletes on Instagram. And it is actually quite common for these individuals to nap between training sessions. It's a lot of your life sleeping. Isn't yeah, it? it's a lot of sleep, but hey, yeah, they're the best in the world. <laughs> uh, 
or you know if it's your lifestyle as well i know that there are a lot of shift workers out there who it is out of their control what hours that they work so of course it would always be promoted that you are sleeping rather than not sleeping at all so if you can only find that you can fit naps into your day and you can't get you know that seven to nine hours per night of course that is preferred over not sleeping at all but i really think for health and longevity sleep should be treated as a top priority guys yeah <laughs> go to bed <laughs> okay so the next question is by daniel abella and it is, what are your guys' thoughts on green powders? So what's your thoughts on greens powders? So I guess Tara and I have a probably look at greens powders the same way we look at vitamin supplementation in that you kind of need a very good reason to use vitamins or green powders. Unless you're like intolerant or you have elevated requirements of certain vitamins and minerals, you really should be getting everything from your diet and there's no reason really why you shouldn't be. I guess the obvious reason why you might not be is if you're like a vegetarian or vegan and you have, uh, especially if you're female, you have increased iron requirements. And if you're not getting any sources of red, red meat or seafood, then you might need to supplement with iron. But I guess if you're having greens powders or vitamin supplements, you're just having massive, massive doses of these above like the recommended levels. And the reality is, is that again, unless you're in special circumstances, it's it's not going to do anything or worst case it's just going to be detrimental yeah it can lead to toxicity so it's what it's called hormesis and you're challenging hormesis so hormesis is essentially finding that sweet spot for a certain nutrient that your body requires and you will function optimally once you reach that amount if you consume less than this amount you won't function optimally and if you consume way over this amount so for example taking very high doses of vitamins and mineral supplements it can actually have negative health consequences mm. yeah and hormesis can be used for other things such can apply be applied to anything like exercise so too little exercise obviously it's not good for your cardiovascular health among other things too much exercise and you might go into overtraining or you'll yeah, burn out left or, ventricle hypertrophy like yeah. some people's hearts are pounding so hard they grow a huge number of cells and that can actually lead to cardiovascular issues mm. too. But that's like, guys, that's like ultra yeah, endurance I think, runners. I don't think anyone has to be worried. <laughs> anyone listening has to be worried about that. Then. So yeah, um, but greens powders, essentially a lot of greens powders, they will contain, you know, barley grass, wheat grass, spirulina, and they're also going to be fortified with a number of vitamins and minerals. So common ones would be a B-complex vitamin or vitamin A, lots of vitamin C as well. And again, if you actually look on the back of most of these packets, it will show you the amount of that certain vitamin in the serving size. And it will also probably have in brackets the percent of the RDI. So RDI stands for recommended daily intake, correct? Yeah. And often these will be over 100%. So mm. you might see something like... Especially vitamin C. Usually. Yeah, vitamin C. Oh my gosh. So we actually only need around, I think it's between 60 to 100 milligrams of vitamin C per day. And you can honestly get this from a piece of fruit. You could just eat an orange and that is your vitamin C for the day. But supplement companies often take like they just 
fortify a lot of things with vitamin C, which can certainly challenge hormesis because vitamin C acts as an antioxidant in our body and antioxidants are certainly very important. However, if we consume too many exogenous antioxidants, such as vitamin C, vitamin A, this can actually shut down endogenous production of antioxidants because our body can produce antioxidants by itself. So if you're consuming very large amounts of vitamin C, you will suppress endogenous antioxidant production. And again, this can have influences on health and consuming too many antioxidants can actually interfere with muscle growth because what antioxidants do is they fight oxidative stress and inflammation. And when we exercise, we actually have natural inflammatory processes that occur within our muscle cells that are a signal for other metabolic pathways and to promote muscle growth. However, if we have very large amounts of vitamin C and antioxidants, this can actually suppress this pathway and you won't actually essentially overall grow as much muscle mass as you were hoping to can interfere with that. And it can also interfere with your VO2 max as well. Anyway, that's getting a little bit deep into it. But I, I, yeah, I don't want anyone to take what we're saying the wrong way. Like if you are taking greens powders, like you don't have to be scared for your health, but we're, we're more just saying that they probably aren't really that necessary. I would just always look to fruits and vegetables first. And especially if you're taking some sort of greens powder that claims to contain a hundred pieces of fruits and vegetables in one scoop or in one pill, Guys, you just, you really have to question that because you can't, honestly, you can't fit a hundred pieces of fruits and vegetables into one pill. If you want a hundred pieces of fruits and vegetables, go to the fruit market, okay? And yeah, always look to real food first and especially financially too. I think it's going to cost a heck of a lot less money to just buy fresh produce compared to buying tubs of powdered produce. You know? Maybe we'd have to do the math on that. But no. anyway, summing up on that question. So we'll move on to the next one, which is from Cody Hearn. And that is, who is your favorite natty bodybuilder? Do you have a favorite natty bodybuilder? Like a favorite? Uh, the short answer is no. I don't, I don't know. I just don't really have, I've never really had someone put anyone on a pedestal and like looked up to them and I think we, we certainly them. admire a lot of natural bodybuilders and a lot of people in the fitness industry. I, there's definitely not just one, but we admire a lot of people. So for example, your coach, Alan Mayo, um, Brandon Kempter, uh, Damo and Haley Forrest, they're fantastic. And the whole team at 3DMJ, I love what they do. I love Hattie Boydell. Who else? AJ Morris, Steve Hall. <laughs> Steve Hall. Yeah, all these great guys. And, you know, I I admire them for not just the bodybuilders that they are, but what they're doing for the health and fitness industry and the messages that they're spreading and the education they're providing. I think that all of these people, I think they're all great. Mm. But, but yeah, yeah. I, guess we, I guess we aspire to do what they're doing, but we don't, we don't really, I don't have anyone that I... I just guess we just do our own thing. We don't really aspire to be anyone because everyone's different and yeah, we exactly. all just take inspiration from different. others, but always be you. All right. So I guess next question. 
So the next question is from Lawrence Grieve, and it is, what is your opinion on the use of foam rolling for recovery? I feel like we're being tricked here because he's a physio student, isn't he? So yep. is he testing us? <laughs> yeah, I can, all I can give for this one is anecdotal evidence. So I guess I, I usually foam roll. Actually, I would be interested for Lawrence to respond to this one on what we say, and then we can um, put it in the next one. Yeah, so. I feel like this is a bit of a test. <laughs> But <clears throat> I use I usually foam roll before and after usually a leg day and I find that it sort of like this is very unscientific but it sort of makes my legs feel ready I guess it's sort of like doing a walk well, walking on the treadmill. Foam rolling is it promotes blood flow to that area mm. so it's essentially it's probably pretty similar to dynamic stretching you know yeah. it's just promoting blood flow it's it's a component of a warm up before you exercise. Mm. And then, yeah, I do it usually after a leg day as well or the day after. And I find that helps reduce stiffness and the DOMS as well. So, mm. yeah. So what's that special muscle that you roll it over? Is it your iliotibial band? Is that the it's one? the uh, TFL. Yeah, the TFL. So that's, yeah, right on the front of your quad. If you kind of like lay on a foam roller and go up and down with your leg, you will feel this like sensational pain. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. It's if you do it for the first time, it's pretty unpleasant. Yeah, but it's... it is pretty interesting though. How I when I first started foam rolling, it does hurt a lot. But if you keep it up for like even a week or two, like you don't really there's no pain. So I guess yeah. Mm. Again, I'd be interested to see what Lawrence says. On yeah, this. I think that it just promotes blood flow and just releases tension as well. So yeah, if your lower back is really sore or um, like Jackson, is it sorry it's TFL? Yeah. Tensor fasciae latte. Yeah, tensor fasciae latte for those who study anatomy 101. I always, it sounds like a coffee to me. A TFL. Like tens, it's because there's a latte in it. Oh. That's a latte, it's a type of coffee. So. Ooh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it just releases tension. It feels good. Jack and I, not just foam rolling, but yeah, we're definitely huge advocates of static stretching. Definitely after your workout or in like the hours after your workout, don't do static stretching before your workout because that can impair your strength and your performance. But static stretching certainly helps with recovery and also flexibility, especially for exercises like RDLs and stuff. I've noticed huge difference in my mm. performance. Yeah, especially for RDLs, if you increases the depth you get on them. Mm. But yeah, so. And yeah, you trigger ball too, right? Yeah, I trigger ball regularly, um, especially my lower back. And yeah, I might as well. This is a useful tip for anyone who experiences like lower back tightness or back pain. If you just Google image your glute medius, then I find that rolling out or trigger balling, just using a tennis ball or a lacrosse ball and getting into that glute medius can really help relief back tension mm. so but we kind of we kind of um trigger ball in different ways i'll just like lay on the floor and put the ball on like one point that hurts and i'm like oh that feels good but jack's like what are you doing you gotta you gotta move around and roll around on it so no i, I, I do both actually oh you do both now okay yeah. you, give, you used to give me shit about just laying on the floor on the ball well, it just didn't look like you're doing much that's <laughs> i felt it man Okay, cool. So I guess those are all the questions for today. Well, we have one more. Do you think we have time to discuss it? Oh, okay. yeah, sure. What's the last one? So the last one's by Nick Lee, and that is fastest way to lose fat and retain muscle. The fastest way. <laughs> Jeez. So all right. no, I'll, I think I can, I'll do this one. Yeah, you do it. So I guess it depends on your current situation and your goals. So say if you're if you're like a bodybuilder in the peak of your off season and you purely want to 
lose fat to increase performance because when you do get to a high level of body fat it can decrease your performance interfere with your sleep your eating schedule like you're not going to be hungry so doing something called a mini cut where you drastically reduce your calories by i think around a thousand mm -hmm. and yeah that's a thousand yeah from your maintenance yeah so that'll obviously put you in a massive deficit and you i guess losing mini cut is should only be from around four to eight weeks and you'll be losing anywhere like around one kilo a week so but again make sure that you're watching where those calories are coming from they want to predominantly come from fat and some carbohydrates but make sure your protein intake is still high so you want to have your protein between 2.2 to 2.6 grams per kilo in that time because the main thing about mini cuts is that you want to lose as much fat mass as possible but retain that hard-earned muscle mass mm. and yeah if you weren't in that situation i probably wouldn't rec recommend a diet such as that one because it's not sustainable to lose a significant amount of fat and two if you're not a bodybuilder and you're or you're not if you don't have the mental fortitude to do something like that it can lead to like disordered eating patterns and so, yeah, because such because some especially not a someone who's not a physique athlete they mm. could interpret that as just a crash diet or yeah. some sort of crazy fad diet but it has a purpose in physique sport but only when it's implemented strategically mm. yeah i i did just mention that mainly for the physique interested people physique sport orientated people who are listening to this but for anyone else if you do a diet such as that i wouldn't recommend it i would more recommend for a slow energy deficit where you lose around half you, a kilo a week yeah the recommendations are you can lose anywhere between 0.5 to 1 percent of your body weight per week so that's your body weight so that takes into account the individual mm. and yeah obviously so being in an energy deficit and yeah losing weight there's not much else to say it's pretty yeah self-explanatory and it you just have to sustain that so because the question here did say the fastest way so that's why we interpret it as a mini cut but just remember guys that if especially in the general population or if you have quite a bit of weight to lose it is going to have to be a sustainable process that you can adhere to and don't do anything too crazy just take your time create an energy deficit through a little bit less food a little bit more exercise keep your resistance training high keep your protein adequate and yeah just enjoy the journey mm, yeah yeah all right, so yeah, those were quite a few questions for today. So I guess before we sign off, we will finish with the last question. So one thing that we learned this week. Sarah, let... you can go first today. You... I always go first. You always go first? Oh, I haven't been keeping track of this. <laughs> okay, one thing that I learned this week, my mom told me this pretty cool thing. So it was her 55th birthday on the weekend and at her party, she was talking to me about Captain Cook and how on Captain Cook's voyages, he would actually get all of his sailors to eat one cup of sauerkraut per day. She told me that this was a mandatory order by him because Captain Cook noticed that his sailors were happier and they seemed to be healthier when they ate sauerkraut. And I thought this was really interesting because you know sauerkraut is a form of probiotic meaning that it has bacteria in it which can go into our gut and it can lead to symbiosis and a bit of healthier gut bacteria there. And as we know, 
the gut actually produces up to like 80% of our serotonin, which serotonin is the precursor of dopamine. So it goes up to the brain and dopamine is that feel good hormone. So essentially eat good, feel good. And that's what Captain Cook discovered. And I thought this was pretty interesting as well because Captain Cook also, you know, he was the advocate for sucking on lemons and limes when these voyagers were out at sea too because it prevented scurvy because lemons and limes are very high in vitamin C and you need high vitamin C levels to avoid the scurvy disease. So Captain Cook was kind of like the nutritionist of the sea without even knowing it. So I think that's pretty awesome. But yeah, that's something that I learned this week. Jack, what did you learn? So this is something that I'd already known or researched before, but it's I listened to a podcast which went over this again in a bit more detail. So when programming your workouts, I guess the recommendations at the moment are 10 to 20 sets per week for each muscle group. So anything like chest, back, um, biceps, triceps, blah, blah, blah. And the thing that most a lot of people forget is the accessory movements that might work two or more muscle groups. So say if you're doing a bench press, the obvious muscle group that you'll be thinking of is chest, but you've got to factor in if you're doing three sets of chest of sorry, three sets of bench press, then this is also three sets that's contributing to your triceps as well, and potentially even your shoulders. So it is very individualized and seeing how your program works for you and if you're finishing a week of program and your chest is sore or very fatigued every single day then maybe that's a signal to reduce your pushing movements down slightly or if your triceps are always sore and fatigued and it's maybe inhibiting on your pressing strength and bring down your tricep volume a bit and yeah I guess gone are the times when I used to think that like you could just do four sets on everything and do like six to eight exercises a session yeah your volume used to be crazy yeah and like thinking you could still improve each week but yeah recently probably like the last six months have really opened my eyes to how important it is to manipulate sets reps and volume overall yeah and I guess in that case like you said so if you're doing a lot of chest and you found that you're and you were doing tricep accessories as well, but you found your triceps were always getting sore, maybe that means that you don't have to necessarily do all those tricep accessories. Yeah. Yeah. And a a big one that some people forget, I think, as well is lateral delts. So your lateral delts are actually hit in a large number of exercises. So even if you guys wanted to do it, to count up the number of sets that you do per muscle group per week, Just look at your program and literally just get out a tally and say, okay, chest, I'm doing like um, 15, you know, for quads, you might find that you're doing like 25. And then if you find that your quads are really sore, you can scale down. It's not just soreness as well, because soreness isn't always the best indicator. It's also just fatigue and how well you're able to progress on each movement. Yes. Yeah, that's that's for sure. If you're not progressing, if you find that you might have stalled in either strength or number of reps that you're able to manage. Um, just having a closer look at it there. But yeah, that that is um, certainly the recommendation per muscle group, 10 to 20 sets per week. And that does include the accessory muscles that you use during, especially your compound movements. So yeah. yeah, cool. All right. Well, that is the end of episode number six. Next week will be episode number seven. And Jack and I are going to do our best to try to get on a special guest for an interview next week. So look forward to that. 
But again, guys, thanks so much for tuning in. We would really appreciate if you would please tell your friends, tell your family about this podcast. Take a screenshot of it, post it to your Instagram story, tag us. We just, we really, really appreciate all of the support and thank you so much. But yeah, we'll catch you next week. Yeah, thanks guys. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye.